Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. What wonderful worship tonight, and what a wonderful God. Amen to worship. Yeah, that's what makes it all worthwhile. First John, First John chapter 2. We're just going to look at five verses tonight, but I'll tell you folks, in, in praying about this passage and just preparing my heart to share this passage with you, I just, I've got to be, I was just overwhelmed. And, and, and there's no way that this poor human instrument is ever going to be able to convey, uh, I think, the depths of what God even spoke in my own soul about this passage. But, but I'm going to give it my best shot and just pray that God will take over where I fall short. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. John writes, And now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame when he comes back. If you know that he is righteous, you also know that everyone who practices righteousness has been fathered by him. See what sort of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children. And indeed we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope focused on Him purifies Himself just as Jesus is pure. Folks, one of the things that God has tried to build into my life and remind me of is that instead of focusing my life and my attention on the things that I don't know, God wants me to focus on what I do know. Because what I do know and what God has told me is enough. He hasn't answered all of our questions, but He has given us everything that we need to know in this life in order to enjoy life at its highest and fullest and to have a relationship and dynamic fellowship with Him. And we're reminded of that in 1 John 3, 2, where notice He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We don't know all that God has for us in the future. We don't even know all that heaven's going to be. The Bible tells us some things about heaven, but not everything about heaven. In fact, most of, I think, heaven has not been revealed to us for one reason or another. But God does not want His people to live by explanations. He wants us to live by His promises. And that's what we're reading about tonight. Is some of the great promises of God. So here tonight, maybe as Brian said, in the midst of maybe your life right now that's maybe a little unstable, maybe the circumstances around your life is a little topsy-turvy, remember this, don't focus on what you don't know right now. That, that's what Satan wants you to do. Focus on what you do know. Keep focused on what you know God has told you and what the Word of God is telling you. Because again, God doesn't answer all the questions that we want to know on this side of heaven. But He does, in the Bible, answer all of the questions that we need to know. Focus on what you know. It is enough. And one of the things that we know, John says, 
is 1 John 3.1. Notice that he wants us to stop in the busyness of our life. And he wants us to ponder and meditate upon the significance of God's great love for us. You you can't really capture it in the English translation when the word behold or see is used at the beginning of 1 John 3.1. But he's just reminding us to stop and be amazed and be overwhelmed and be caught in a state of wonder that the God of the universe loves us. And that that thought alone, that that truth alone, that that knowledge alone could revolutionize my day, my week, my month, even this hour when I capture in my mind what sort of love, what great love, what magnificent love, what unbelievable love, what infinite, unconditional love God has for me that you and I can be called the children of God. Amen to that truth tonight. And we know that, John says. And that's why we need to focus on what we know. Because again, as we've already talked through our study of 1 John, it it is when we allow the knowledge that God loves us so much that that just fills us up. That, That truly then our lives can be an overflow of love to others when we allow God to sort of meet that void, fill that void, meet that whole and and totally satisfy and fulfill us and fill us up to the fullest. So John's saying here, in the midst of what we don't know, let's focus on what we know because that will be enough. And one of the things that we have to continually, constantly remind ourselves of is to stop and ponder the greatness of God's love for us. I mean, just To take this a little, we live in such a fast-paced world. And John is saying that sometimes we're moving so fast, even doing good things, that we've got to intentionally stop and just go, wow, the God of the universe loves me. And let that truth just sort of sink down in to our being, settle there, dwell there, and make a difference in even the way we approach our day. As I was taught many years ago, and those of you that have been in my Bible studies long enough, you've heard this before, it is our attitude, not our aptitude, that will determine our altitude. And when you and I can have the attitude every day that we can wake up and know that the God of the universe has showered his great love upon us, that attitude can get us through even the darkest of days. The next thing we know, according to 1 John 2.28, is that Jesus is coming. Notice he talks about remaining in him so that when he appears. And at the end of verse 28, when he comes back, we don't know when Jesus is coming, but we know that he is coming. And we even base that on the very promise of Jesus himself. 
In John chapter 14, the first three verses, Jesus says to his followers, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions and dwelling places. If it were not so, I would tell you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus has ascended out of sight from his followers to go back to heaven, two angels come down in Acts chapter 1 and they basically say to all of his followers, folks, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that you saw go up into heaven this very day is going to come back in like manner as you saw him go. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be caught up together with them In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And forever, Paul says, we will be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The very last verse of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 20. Jesus says to his followers, I'm coming back. And John, the one who not only wrote 1 John, but who wrote the Gospel of John in the book of Revelation, says, Ah, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. See, the message of the Bible is that our hearts would so burn for the return of the Lord that we would live in such an an expectancy, in such an anticipation that we would almost be living in such a way and crying out in such a way, Jesus, just, just rent the sky, just come down, rescue us from this place, take us to be with you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. In fact, Jesus, when he was teaching his followers to pray, In the model prayer, if you will, that Jesus taught all followers, he says, here's how you should pray. Something like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Even in that prayer, it should be the desire of our hearts for Jesus to come. Jesus is coming. The King is coming. We need to live in such a way that Jesus is coming and and get up every day and say, Jesus, I hope this is the day. I hope this is the day. Lord, break open the sky and come back today. Lift up the gates and open the doors and let the King of glory come in. We know that God loves us with a great love and we know that Jesus is coming. And I would just like for a few moments too to stop here to encourage you with this thought a little bit further. What does Jesus' coming mean, first of all, to the world? What does Jesus' coming mean to the world at large? Well, Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9 says that then the Lord will reign and rule over all the earth. You see, there's coming a day where the King truly is coming. He came the first time to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to humble himself. But the next time Jesus comes, he's coming to rule and reign. And he will reign over all the earth, the Bible tells us. In Revelation eleven fifteen, John writes, The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible reminds us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Because God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what Christ's coming means to the world. Let me share a couple others with you. And while I'm turning there, I'm not even going to ask you to turn to these tonight, but here's what I am going to promise you I'll do if I can remember it in my advanced age. I will list out all the scriptures that I have referenced tonight on my blog this coming week. And for those of you that do not have access to that blog, I will have a list of all these scriptures at the information booth next week. And you can have them and take them with you and look at them yourselves. In the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, here's what the coming of the Lord is going to mean to the world. A wolf will reside with a lamb and a leopard will lie down with a young goat. An ox and a young lion will graze together as a small child leads them along. A cow and a bear will graze together. Their young will lie down together. A lion, like an ox, will eat straw. A baby will play over the hole of a snake, over the nest of a serpent. An infant will put his hand, and they will no longer injure or destroy on my entire royal mountain. For there will be universal submission to the Lord's sovereignty, just as the waters completely cover the sea. This is what Jesus' coming means to the world. And then one other, in the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 4 says this, In the future, the Lord's temple mount will be the most important mountain of all. It will be more prominent than the other hills. People will stream to it. Many nations will come saying, come on, let's go up to the Lord's mountain, to the temple of Jacob's God, so he can teach us his commands and we can live by his laws. Imagine a world that is flocking to hear God's word. Imagine a world, a world that is anxious to hear what God has to say. It's coming, my friends. For Zion will be the source of instruction. The Lord's teachings will proceed from Jerusalem. He will arbitrate between many peoples and settle disputes between many distant nations. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not use weapons against other nations. They will no longer train for war. Each will sit under his own grapevine or under his own fig tree without any fear. Total security. Total fearlessness. Even in the Middle East. No threat of terror anymore in the world. Now these verses, a couple of these verses that I just read out of Micah and also out of Isaiah are actually inscribed outside of our United Nations building in New York City. Can I tell you something, folks, that probably isn't a secret to many of you tonight? The United Nations will never bring about peace in this world. It is only when the Prince of Peace... Jesus Christ comes back and rules and reigns on this earth that there will be real, lasting peace on this earth. Then, as the Bible predicts, then nation will not rise up against other nations. Then the sword will finally be beaten into a plowshare and spears into pruning hooks. This is just some of what the coming of Jesus means to the world. But obviously, if you're like me, that's great. 
But I also want to know what does the coming of Jesus mean to me? How does it personally apply to me? Look back at 1 John chapter 3. And look at the end of verse 2. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. One day, friends, we're going to see Jesus. We're not just going to have to imagine through the eyes of faith who our Lord and Savior is, what He looks like, how tall is He, what's He really look like, all of that. No, we're, we're going to see. Our faith will become sight. And I believe that every human being that knows the Lord as their Savior will have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus when they get to heaven. Because I think He treats us that way. He's not going to treat us as a mass and multitude of people, but there's going to be that personal touch from the Lord Jesus. And each one of us in some supernatural way is going to have that time where it's just, I believe, us and Jesus. And you and I are going to be able to stare and look into the eyes of the one who loves us more than we could ever imagine. The one who died for us. The one who left the glories of heaven. The one who left the worship of angels. The one who allowed the spikes and nails to be driven into his holy, sinless body because of his love for us. We will get to see him. And then the Bible says also, not just see him, but we will be instantaneously transformed when we see him. And that God is going to give us then a glorified body fit for eternity. Never to forget. Never to get October and August mixed up ever again. A body fit for eternity. That's what John says Christ's coming means to us. Then Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see in a mirror indirectly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully. See, I believe all of our questions one day will be answered. If for no other reason, when we see God face to face, probably a lot of those questions are just going to melt anyway. It's just going to be literally, oh my God. Why did I doubt Why did I think you didn't have this all figured out? I I believe that many of our questions, but but I also believe that some of our questions will be answered. Because now we know in part, then we will know fully. This is what Christ's coming means to you and I. In Revelation 5.10, the Bible reminds us that you and I will rule and reign with Christ forever and ever. That's a long time. That's a long time. One of the questions I've received for 25 years as a pastor is, Jeff, what are we going to do forever? That's a long time. As, as if we're going to get bored or something. And, and I, I remind these folks that 
there are verses in the Bible that first of all tell us we're going to serve God forever. We're going to worship God forever. We're going to have roles and responsibilities in his kingdom based upon our faithfulness down here. There's going to be a lot of activity. I think heaven's going to be a place of learning because our God is an infinite being. And we could study God for the rest of eternity and still never come to the end of who he is. That's part of what heaven's going to be. Heaven's also going to be an unbelievable place of worship. I mean, I love to hear you all sing on Tuesday night or on Sunday morning. Can you imagine what the throng in heaven is going to be like when millions upon multiplied millions from all generations of history are in heaven before the Lamb of God just lifting up their voices? You are worthy. Jesus, you are where I, I can't imagine what that sound is like, what the instruments in heaven are like, what the music in heaven will be like. If the music that man can make up, if the music that man can write, if the music that man can play can be so wonderful, can you imagine what the music in heaven will be like? This is what Christ's coming means for us. Again, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read this out of the book of Revelation. Here's what heaven is also and Christ's coming going to mean for you and I. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. I believe that the new Jerusalem is the capital city of heaven. Heaven's a big place. But the new Jerusalem will sort of be the capital city of heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will not exist anymore. Or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the former things have ceased to exist. Can you imagine? No more pain. No more worry. <laughs> Never having to have an anxious thought about anything. Don't even have to worry about prayer anymore because that's something we just need for now because once we're there, He's there. We're together. It's going to be so wonderful, so amazing, so glorious. Folks, this is what our future holds for us. This is what the coming of Jesus Christ means to us. This glorious future. No wonder Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor is never in vain in the Lord. All the blood, sweat, and tears that we've put into growing in our Christian life and serving the Lord and all of our prayers and Bible study, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. There will never be a second of regret Ever. Like, oh, I, I wish I would have done less for Jesus and more for me. No. 
fact, I think it's very interesting. That's why that in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it says down the line, he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Because I think that some of us are going to shed some tears in heaven. Because I think some are going to regret the kind of life that they lived or didn't live for the Lord when they finally see Him and they're in heaven. See, that's what John is reminding us of in this whole passage. I mean, I've concentrated on the love of God and that's certainly something that He wants us to know and be reminded of. And He certainly reminded us here of something that we know, that Jesus is coming. And what's His coming mean to the world and what's His coming mean to me? But you'll notice here predominantly in this passage between chapter 2 verse 28 and chapter 3 verse 3 that the main thing He wants to remind us of is that when Jesus comes, not everyone will be ready and prepared for His coming. That's why He writes in verse 28, Now little children remain in Him. This is the theme of 1 John. Not just a relationship with God, but fellowship with God. Being on the same page, locking arms in arms with God throughout my life. Inviting God into every aspect of my life. That's what John's writing about. It's one thing to have a relationship with somebody. It's another thing to have fellowship. To be on the same page. To be locked in. To be moving in the same direction. To have one mind about something. And that's what John wrote 1 John about. And yet notice, he says, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame when he comes back. Some Christians are going to be way far away from God when Jesus comes. And I believe, obviously, they're they're still going to go to heaven. That's what I believe. But I believe they're going to shed some tears when they get there for a while until Jesus wipes those tears away. Because they were away from God. They were out of fellowship. They weren't ready and prepared for Jesus to come. In fact, that's why he even goes down here in verse 3 of chapter 3 to say, Everyone who has this hope. That Jesus is truly coming. I mean, if you really believe that, if I really believe that, then John is saying, shouldn't it make a difference in the way we live? That's why I caution Christians when we get caught up in wanting to learn prophecy for prophecy's sake. You know, if, if, if I had a series on the book of Revelation or Daniel or a six-week series on prophecy, man, we'd probably pack a room out on Sunday. Because people are interested in it. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But God didn't give us prophecy so that we might understand the prophetic calendar and what's going to happen next and all this and that. As I I said before, if we were as focused on the Christ as we were who the Antichrist was, we'd all be better off. And God wants us to take the idea of what's coming down the road and Jesus is coming to impact our lives right now to make a practical difference in the way we live if we truly believe that we have this hope. And remember, hope in the Bible is not the way we use it in English. And the way we use it in English, it's like a wish. I I hope this happens, but I have no guarantee. When the Bible uses the word hope, that Greek word means confident expectation. I know it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen for sure. Why? 
Because God said so. He promised it. That's how I can be confident about it. That's how I can have hope. And so John says, notice 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope that Jesus is coming and we will truly see him and stand before him and be transformed like him will purify himself just as Jesus is pure. In other words, we'll make ourselves ready. And please don't narrow that definition of purity to just like sexual purity or moral purity like we do in America. Literally, in the original language, the word purity just simply means undiluted or unmixed. When something is pure, it means it's it's all what it is. There's nothing else mixed in there. There's nothing that's diluted it. So the main point that John is making is what he's talked to us about ever since 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And that is that if we're, our focus is truly Jesus, if that's who we're living for, if we're not being distracted, then we're unmixed and undiluted in our commitment and devotion to Jesus Christ. We are in fellowship with Jesus. In a sense, we are living pure before Jesus because He's our all in all. He's our number one. He's our first love. He comes before everything. That's what John is saying. If I truly believe I'm going to see Him one day, then it's going to affect how I live my life every day. And my life every day, in a sense, will be a a renewal of commitment and devotion to Jesus, saying, Jesus, You're number one, and I'm going to live like it today. I'm not going to let Satan or the world or anyone or anything else distract me. I'm locked on you. I don't want to get, I don't want to dilute my commitment to you. I don't want anyone or anything to pull me away from keeping my focus on you, that you are all I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's what John means. I will ask you to turn to one other passage tonight. If you go back to the Gospel of Mark, Mark's Gospel, listen to the words of Jesus. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning at verse 32. And as we read the words of Jesus, see how many times He tells us as His followers to stay alert, to in a sense stay on our toes spiritually, to not get apathetic or complacent or indifferent towards Him and our walk with Him, but to stay alert. Jesus says, in connection with His coming, But as for that day or hour, no one knows it, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son except the Father. Watch out. Stay alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. He left his house, put his slaves in charge, assigning to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Stay alert then. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will return, whether during evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or at dawn. Or else he might find you asleep when he returns suddenly. What I say to you, I say to everyone, stay alert. This is why John John heard those words, by the way. 
He was there when Jesus spoke those words to his followers. So no wonder in 1 John, chapter, the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, as John is inspired by the Holy Spirit to begin to talk about the coming of the Lord, I'm sure the Spirit took him back to those very words of Jesus. So no wonder John is telling us in verse 28, Now little children, remain in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame when he comes back. Or in verse And everyone who has this hope focused on him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. Folks, I've been studying the Bible for 35 years. And there's still so much that I don't know. But there's a couple things that I know for sure. I know that my God loves me more than I could ever imagine. And that if I walk away from that love, if I leave that love, I'm walking away from the greatest love I will ever know. Because there will be no one else in this life I will ever meet, no relationship I could ever have, where I will find a greater love than the love I already have in Christ. Don't forget when you and I wake up tomorrow morning or when we go to bed tonight that even though your mind and my mind could be filled with a lot of fear and anxiety and worry and whatever over the circumstances of life and what we may be going through or what we may be facing, remember this. Remember and ponder the significance and meditate upon how great how great God's love for you is. That's what we know. And we also know this. We don't know the time. We don't know the hour that Jesus is coming. But we know He is coming for sure. Because if He doesn't come, then He broke a promise. Jesus breaks no promises. But we, because we don't know exactly when He's coming, as the Bible teaches us, we need to stay on our toes spiritually and stay alert at all times. Because we, we don't want Jesus to come back and find us living in sin, far away from Him, thinking only about ourselves. I believe we'll still go to heaven. But I believe there'll be some tears shed of regret over the way I lived my life and how Jesus found me when he came back. So that's why John says to all of us, stay on track, as we said last week. Let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God keep us on track. Keep us growing. Keep reading. Keep studying, keep growing, keep progressing, keep moving forward. And when Jesus comes back, it'll be a great time. Listen, every one of us, every Christian who ever lived could say, well, I could have done better, have some regrets. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. Please hear my heart. We could all say that. 
What I'm talking about is the difference between a Christian who's in fellowship with Christ when Jesus comes back and a Christian, as we've talked about through our study of 1 John, who's out of fellowship with Christ when Jesus comes back. I want to be in fellowship with God. I want to be doing what God is asking me to do. I want to be in His Word, reading and studying. I want to be faithful to church, faithful to my brothers and sisters in Christ, just going about my life the way I've been going about it and not allowing anything or anyone to get me off track from keeping my eyes focused on Christ. The King is coming, my friends. And what His coming means to the world is more than we could ever imagine. This world, Jesus is going to transform the way this world looks. And it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be glorious. And Jesus is going to transform us too. He's going to give us a body to live in with Him for all of eternity. There's not going to be any death anymore, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. No more five-year-old girls getting cancer. No more people dying in accidents. No more of that. I'm going to finally see my brother and sister that I never knew who died before I was born. I'm looking forward to meeting them. I don't know how much they're looking forward to meeting me, but I'm looking forward to meeting them. I'm looking forward to seeing my dad again. You know, one of the cool things about heaven, is, is the coolest thing about heaven is Jesus is there. But the longer you're a Christian, and the more people that you know that knew Christ who died and went there before you, that also makes heaven a little bit sweeter too. Because you know you're going to see him again. And you know you're never going to be separated from them ever again. This is what the coming of Christ means to us, folks. Let's live in light that Jesus is coming. I've been doing the mine for four years here at Cornerstone. I've never done anything like this. Tonight is the first time. But I just felt very moved by the Spirit of God to sort of end this way tonight based upon what we talked about from 1 John tonight. I'm just going to ask as we close that as we all just sort of ponder and meditate upon the Scriptures tonight, that if there's some here tonight that you are feeling moved yourself by the Holy Spirit to make some kind of decision or commitment or maybe you just want to come here as we offer people at the end of our services on Sunday just to pray here in the front tonight. I'm just going to ask you in just a second if you would just have the courage to get up out of your seat and just come forward and whether you want to kneel here, whether you want to stand here, that's totally up to you. But then as I feel like everybody who's coming has come, I would just like us to end the mind tonight with just a word of prayer, not only for those who've come tonight for some specific reason or purpose, but for all of us, folks. Because Jesus is coming. Let's be ready for His return. I'm just going to ask that we would just take a few seconds in silence, and then I'm just going to ask that if you are feeling in some way moved by the Holy Spirit of God tonight to come here 
to the front tonight and pray or just stand here and make some kind of decision or commitment, I'm just going to ask you to get up out of your seat and just come forward here. Let's just have a moment of silence and then you can start coming. Yes, you come. The Spirit of God is leading you to come tonight. Won't you come? Maybe you're coming to get a burden and just take that burden and throw it on the Lord. Maybe you're coming just to make a commitment to the Lord tonight. But in some way, the Spirit of God is saying to you, you come, you pray, you deal with God. You let God deal with you as you come tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, you you can make a choice and decision right there in your chair. Absolutely. But we all know that there are some times in our life where we just sort of need to step up and step out and make sort of a public declaration. I think it's sort of it's sort of a marker in our life to say September 22nd 2009 that was a significant marker in my life. That was a time where I gave something to the Lord that I've been holding on to. That was a time when I just laid something down at the Lord's feet once and for all. That was a time, a night, when I gave someone over to the Lord. That was a night when I gave the Lord a part of my heart or another room in my life. If you are still coming and then we'll close in prayer. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. All of you are such a blessing to me. May God bless each and every one of you. And for those of you specifically that have come here tonight in the front of this auditorium for some purpose, for some reason that the Spirit of God has stirred in your heart, and for those of us, the rest here in the auditorium tonight, we're just going to wrap up our mind tonight with a word of prayer and just ask God to meet with us here in a special way. Oh God, to the one who loves us with such a great love, we come before you tonight, God. And God, there are no words in the human language to express our hearts. But God, we're just so thankful that you love us so much. And God, we're so thankful that you have redeemed us. You've taken us out of the kingdom of darkness into the light of your marvelous Son. And God, I don't know what's on the hearts of these folks who've come tonight to the front of this auditorium. But you know, you know it inside and out. You know them and you know the situation intimately. 
And God, you have drawn them here tonight. And I'm just asking God that as only you can do, God, you would minister to these folks, that you would meet them exactly where they need to be met tonight. That you would heal, that you would restore, that you would encourage, that you would refresh, that you would forgive, that they would find mercy, that they would find grace. Lord, whatever they need, may they just acknowledge tonight that they will find it in you. Whatever they've come looking for tonight, that they will find it in Jesus. And God, for all of us here tonight, thank you for the reminder that Jesus is coming. And may we live every day in light of that fact, that truth. The King is coming. We're going to live with you forever and reign with you. God, help us not to get so drugged down and discouraged and distracted by the things of this world. But help us to set our affection on things above, not things on the earth. Where Christ, who is our life, is. And when He appears, we shall appear with Him in glory. God, take us away from this place tonight. Truly changed, revived, and refreshed. And help us to live this next week just a little bit differently because of being here tonight. God, thank You for Your great grace and great love. May you bless all of these folks here tonight as only you as God can bless. And God, we will praise you forever and ever throughout all of the ages, world without end. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Come soon, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Folks, I just want to thank you for being here. Let's be respectful of what God is doing here tonight. And let's just leave the auditorium quietly tonight. Thank you, folks, for being here tonight.